Good morning. This is Joe Pantosi, and I'm with Brooke Borg, who is an attorney practicing and, and residing primarily in Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, we were just visiting this morning about our, our mutual practices and how, how we work together. So I want to jump right in and say good morning, Brooke. I'm glad to have you on this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. So I never like to get past the beginning of a conversation without talking about the basics. You know, why would someone need an estate planning lawyer? Do I have to have a, a billion dollars to hire somebody like you? And I'd like to talk about the basics because I always want to make people comfortable that they can talk to you, have a telephone conversation if it's appropriate, and find out when and how they should, they should arrange to meet with you and, and, and get the opening conversations. Sure. So we do a lot of estate planning and probate work at our office. So estate, when someone says, I have an estate plan, it can be made up of various different documents, as you know, mainly a last will and testament, and some people have a trust. Um, other than the will and the trust, there's the medical and financial powers of attorney. You can have burial or cremation instructions in a trust. But the main focus of an estate plan is to figure out where your estate goes or who's in charge of it when you pass away. And you're right. A lot of people come to us and they say, well, I, I'm not wealthy. I don't have an estate per se. Um, but in Nevada, keep in mind that depending on if you have a surviving spouse, let's say you have a surviving spouse, you pass away, you can own things up to $100,000 in assets before we're forced to go through probate. And that takes into consideration real estate, vehicles, retirement accounts. Uh, it can be anything like that, timeshare values, if cash value life insurance, anything like that is taken into consideration. Now, if your spouse passed before you, or if you're single, you can only have $25,000 in assets in your name before you're forced to go through probate. So I always tell people, think of that $25,000 mark. It's easy to have 25,000. Everybody in that sense have, has an estate, right? If you have a bank account and a car, you don't even need your own real property. So that's the importance of talking to people and just educating. I know a big part of your practice is educating your clients. And same with us is we just wanna get the word out there that you actually do have an estate if you have $25,000. Yeah, that's, that's so important. Um, I just heard from another attorney uh, last week that the state of Nevada has changed the uh, medical power of attorney Yes. Um, to allow a person to authorize their doctor to help them transition, let's say, or yeah. graduate yeah. sooner if they're suffering. So there was some additional language added. I believe it was this year. It's been this year has been crazy. So I, I don't really know what happened in 2020, but it's been added in the past year. And it's right. There's a provision that says if you have a, a late stage disease, including dementia, that without treatment would your death within a relatively short time, right? You're not going to come out of it. You're okaying your agent to authorize a medication to alleviate suffering, even if you could become addicted to it. Or it could shorten your life. Mm -hmm. So that or it could shorten your life is like, hmm, what does this mean, right? And we see it all the time with our clients who maybe have parents who are in hospice and they just want to be kept as pain-free as possible. They, they don't want their parents to suffer. So it's the, yes, give them morphine, give them whatever they can so that they're pain-free, 
but the shortening of life is kind of makes you question like what exactly was the intent of that? So that was added to the medical power of attorney, as well as a provision allowing your agent to authorize your being put into a long-term care facility. So if you want your, your agent to have to go through a guardianship proceeding before they're able to admit you to a facility, you check one box in the document. If you don't want them to have to go through guardianship and they can just automatically admit you without the court intervention, you initial another box. So those were two big additions to the medical power of attorney this year. Okay. That's, that's so interesting. And that one little item winds up having a little bit of complexity to it. it and, and that's why I always encourage my friends, my relatives, my clients to talk to an attorney and get the basics so that you can decide whether you should have a will, whether you should have a trust. So, so let me, let me throw a, a kind of a plain vanilla situation, which probably applies to a lot of people. So um, I'm a male, I'm married. I've got a couple of kids under the age of 18. I have a modest 401k. I have a little bit of life insurance. I have, I have a home that's titled in my wife's name and my name jointly. So I figure I probably don't need a trust. So Tell me why I should have a trust. <laughs> and I would say you do need a trust. And here's why. A couple of reasons. Unlikely, but you're, you and your wife travel together, right? If you travel together and you both passed at the same time, anything that's owned jointly by you is going through probate. Okay. So that's one thing, one red flag in what you said for that scenario. But the biggest red flag is your underage children to me. If you have underage kids and, and you do not have a trust in place that designates the ages at which to, they're to receive your estate or their inheritance and somebody in charge to control that, they're going to get it at 18. And I don't know about you, Joe, but if I got money at 18, it would be gone and I couldn't tell you what I spent it on. So a lot of our clients who have younger kids, even if they have a couple of accounts and a real, uh, real a home a piece of real property. We suggest a trust so that they name somebody to be in control of that asset. And then also in their estate planning documents, they're going to need a will to designate a guardian of those kids. So if, if husband passes away and wife is alive, wife is the guardian, but if they both pass away, we need somebody to name in the will to nominate who the guardian is of those kids. Now, remember the guardian is in charge. Whoever's appointed as guardian of the minors is in charge of their well-being and things like that. But if there's money and held in trust for these minor kids, you have the guardian talking to the trustee to make sure that the kids have the finances that they need. So in, in a sense, that gives you a system of checks and balances for the money that goes to the kids. Perfect. Perfect. That, that's exactly what I want you to say, because people need to hear this. Yes. Let me take that just a step further. I have heard people say to me, I am naming my brother, my brother-in-law, my sister, my sister-in-law, my best friend, whatever. Somebody I kind of trust, which is a red flag for me, but in any case, they say that. And my response is, great. Have you told them that you named them as a trust trustee? Well, no, I haven't told them yet because, and then they, they talk about something related to a lack of trust. So Absolutely. if they were to find out that I had 200,000 or 500,000 or some number, they might blow the money. I'm saying, wait a minute, if you have somebody that you don't trust with money, why in the world would you trust them with the money that's not theirs, but it's entrusted for your children? So, exactly. so first of all, if you're going to name a trustee, it behooves you to tell them or ask them 
and make sure that you and your spouse are on the same page in, in electing that person. Make sure that person is in agreement that they're willing to serve. Yeah, absolutely. For example, I'm sorry. For example, I have a, a dear friend who I, I named as one of my trustees on behalf of my children and grandchildren. He happens to be in the same business as me. And, and he went to his company and he said, you know, because we're all uh, investment licensed. So there are certain things we cannot do. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem like they're related, but they are related. And our broker dealers or our, our compliance departments, the, the legal beagles that oversee insurance and investments, they came back to him and said, I don't care if he's your best friend, you cannot serve, period. Yeah. And so we had to remove him as a trustee. We have some other people. And um, so, so number one, I'd like you to, to talk a little bit about, about that trust relationship. And, and number two, if you would, if you don't have somebody that you trust to place in that position, if you would talk a little bit about a, a trust company. Sure, absolutely. And we get that all the time. You would think it would be, um, it, you would be in the minority if you didn't have somebody that you trust. It's, it's the opposite. So many times, or, or people will come to us and say, well, I want to name my kids, but I don't want to give them copies of my documents. I don't, I don't want them to know they're in control of it, which is exactly what you said. So to me, a red flag in my head, right? Like, why would you name them then? But they don't think that there's any other option. So we go through a couple of things. One, you can name family. You can name co-trustees. So you can name two people. Let's say you have two kids. You want to name them to act together. Here's what I caution my clients on doing that. You can name co-trustees where they both have to agree on everything so that there's, you know, not one stealing from a pot that the other one doesn't know about. But what if they disagree? What if there's some type of deadlock where they can't move forward because one says this and one says no? Well, they either can't take the action and sometimes that causes the distributions not to be able to move forward. So then guess what? We're back in court to have the court decide. So what I've had clients do is they name co-trustees, but they name a tiebreaker. So if the trustees are absolutely deadlocked, they name a third person to go to who kind of breaks that deadlock as far as trustee actions. But you absolutely have to trust your trustee. What happens if I name my sister and then she steals all the money that was that was there for my children? Do they have a cause of action? Sure, the, their guardian, if they're minors, has a cause of action against the trustee for stealing their money. But then you got to go to court, right? Then you got to get a judgment against the trustee. They might not be collectible. Your money's gone. You know, so at that point, it can become this snowball effect of all of these court actions to try to get this person to return the money that they took, if in fact, that's what they did. Um, If clients absolutely don't have anybody that they can trust, we always uh, we always recommend checking out a trust company to do that job. A trust company is an insured, bonded, licensed company or corporation. We work with quite a few here in Southern Nevada. That's their job. They are a corporate trustee. Now they do charge fees and we usually get their fee structure ahead of time to tell the clients they're going to charge you for this. But it's peace of mind knowing that if you don't have someone, an individual that you can name to act, the trust company will step in and do that after you pass away. And so just to be clear on the fees. So let's say that that my client is is 40 years old, and they decide to put this into, into place. And they ask me, am I going to have to start paying this trust company tomorrow? And I may not die for 30 years, right? And it depends on the t- 
type of trust. If it's a regular revocable trust, client is in control of during their lifetime and the, the corporate trustee only steps in at death, no, they are not going to pay them while they're still alive and they're acting as the trustee. But once the person passes away and the trustee, the corporate trustee then steps in and starts to work, they have to pay them at that time. And the money is taken out of the trust for that. If it's a, a type of irrevocable trust, which a Nevada Asset Protection Trust is a great example, mm -hmm. where you have to have a third party as a distribution trustee if you're getting any money out of that during your lifetime. And, and let's say we appointed a corporate trustee now to do that. Any, they usually charge an annual fee. One I just looked up the other day is like $3,000 a year and then $100 per distribution they make. So it can get pricey. Um, the, the fees that a corporate trustee is gonna charge after you pass away, if it's a revocable family trust, which is most of the types of trusts we do, um, it's usually a percentage of the estate. So whatever's in your trust, they take, I found it to be anywhere between one and 3% of the trust estate. Mm -hmm. But I'm assuming that uh, that fee is not going to be triggered until either the first or the, even the second death. Correct. And the trust company is not doing any work, so they're not going to bill anything until right. they're actually called to perform. That's absolutely correct. Great, yes. great. So, and you can imagine, I've come across almost every situation that you can think of. And, and so I'm, I'm a fan. Okay, I am totally a fan. We're in the process of revising our family trust for the third time in 20 years, which is which is necessary because people are born, people die, people move away, people become incompetent or be, be, families become estranged sure. from each other. And then people don't know how property passes. So I have seen people list a trusted person or a relative in their life insurance policy as a beneficiary with the intention that that person is going to be a trustee. And, and just because you put John Smith comma trustee in the beneficiary space of a life insurance policy doesn't mean anything unless there's actually a trust in existence. Correct. And, and uh, the, the, the original uh, problem that I wanted to get to was I've seen people name individuals in their policy because their intention was for that person to be a trustee for someone else. And, right. and, and the problem is that person receives money from a death. They're not obligated to do anything with the money except spend it and go buy a boat. That's absolutely right. And you know what I see that a lot also on Joe is older individuals, older clients, putting their kids as joint owners on a bank account. Mm. Well, I'm just going to put, I'm just going to put my kid's name on it because then it, it won't go through probate, which is correct. Um, and they'll have easy ex access to it, which is also correct. However, what they don't think about is what if that son or daughter that you put on the, the account gets sued? That's just as much their money as it is yours. So those creditors are coming after your money, which is actually theirs as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of tax reasons that you don't want to gift things to kids as well, you know, right before your death, or if you're, you know, trying to maybe qualify for Medicaid later in life, people just start gifting stuff away. It's always better to inherit it for tax reasons because of steps up in basis and various reasons. But we always tell people, hold on. We understand that you maybe want to put them, make it easy for them to handle at your death, but there's other ways to do that besides putting them on the account or like you you said they they think um, a lot of people will name their estate as the beneficiary on their life insurance and i can't believe we still see that all that does is guarantees that those proceeds are going through uh probate so it like you said if you put you know brookboard trustee 
It's got to be, I have to be the trustee of some trust in existence for that to work. If not, it's going to go through probate. And unfortunately, people don't know any different. So they're not, they're, tr they're doing their best, right? But they're just not educated about the pitfalls. And that's why they need to see an estate planning attorney is because we see these things all the time. And we want to learn from the mistakes of previous clients to unfortunately tell these horror stories so that the future clients don't do the same. For sure. So let me bring up another kind of obvious situation. And it applies, it applies more so with people who are older, but it can literally apply to anyone. So I'm, I'm 70 plus years old and I'm going to name my wife as my beneficiary of my life insurance policy, or I'm going to name my wife as, as a, as a co-owner of, of some property. And, and I die and then there's no trust, but now she owns everything personally. And after I die, she, maybe she's already been sick and now she becomes less well, she becomes sicker and she needs uh, care in an assisted living or, or nursing home, or she becomes legally incompetent. Now we have assets that are titled in my wife's name and there's no trust and no trustee to back her up. No one could to, to help her manage those assets. And now we have the very problem that we were trying to avoid in the first place. So, so just because we have a happy marriage and a strong family, it doesn't mean that we won't have problems. I think that my, and please correct me because this is just me thinking and not being an attorney. I think that my wife, should be my first trustee after me in my trust. And then if something happens to her, the assets are in the trust, not in her personal name. That's absolutely correct. You couldn't be more right. And the reason for that too is not just because um, you know, you can do the planning when everyone's well and you're both on the same page and just get the, the planning done so that at the death of the first spouse, the surviving spouse doesn't have to do a lot. The trust is already set up. The assets are already in there. Maybe we take the, the spouse who died's name off as a trustee, but that's really an easy process. Um, what happens is I'll have clients come to me and they say, well, we're in, and we own everything jointly. So, you know, if the first one dies, then the other one's going to own everything, which is just what you said in your example. But then the, the surviving grieving spouse then has to go to an attorney and it, I hate to be stereotypical, but I still find that in a lot of relationships, the males who typically die first were in charge of all the finances. And, and for most cases, some cases, it's not the case, but mostly that's the case. So then you have a surviving widow who hasn't been involved in the finances, doesn't know where to go, doesn't do anything. And then she dies owning everything in her own name. Everything goes through probate. Or like in your example, um, the, the surviving spouse is now incompetent. So they can't make any changes. They can't set up an estate plan. So then you have to go through a guardianship proceeding to get a guardian appointed for that person and mm. then have them be authorized by a court to do estate planning documents where that's a whole other process. So, you know, people say, well, it's okay. We own everything jointly. When I, when I hear that, I just cringe a little bit because of exactly what you said. Right. Yeah. And, and, and um, I apologize for maybe taking this conversation on a, you know, a kind of a windy road. I'm, I'm sure that if you were actually leading the conversation, because you're responding to me as my guest, which I appreciate you so much, and I, I tend to overcomplicate things and I really don't want to. And that's why I had you on the call. Otherwise, I'd be sitting here practicing law without a license, which would be terrible. But 
I, and I, I'm going to ask you on the record if you will join me in, in future calls so we can continue to unpack some of these ideas. Sure. Um, and thank you so much for that. I was, <laughs> I was, hoping, I was hoping I would get a yes. That is on the record. <laughs> but, but some of the some of the the most obvious issues come up when we have blended families. Oh, yes. Yes. And we we have we have a husband and wife, and he has some kids, and and she has some kids, and we want to treat some assets differently. Sure. And we actually want to treat some of the children differently. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to treat them fairly, but not, not necessarily equally. If right. one, one child has some sophistication or one child has some, some maturity mm -hmm. and one child is more trustworthy. The other, the other child is, is a totally lovely person, but they're not good with money. So we, we want to, to deal with all these issues. And like I said, I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. um, I, I believe you should have a professional uh, serving your family or your business at every step of the way. You should have a professional estate planning lawyer, not a, not a trust in a box. As I say, don't, don't get it out of a voting machine or, or get your trust online. Um, have someone else do your taxes for you. Have, have advice from a professional investment advisor or professional financial advisor. Um, deal with, um, deal with a realtor who, who knows how to buy and sell property. Yes. Uh, all these, all these different people who are um, some of some of whose fees are are, are necessary part of life, mm -hmm. and uh, and some of whose fees uh, come out of the, the sale or the purchase of a product like like real estate. So it it, it just takes a little bit more um, think, thinking, a little bit more attention, but it gives you the peace of mind of having professionals that you can call up on a moment's notice to say, I've got an issue I'm gonna be dealing with at the end of the tax year because of capital gains. I sold a property, I bought a property. How is this, how is this account dealt with? I, I lost some money on a stock and I bought the stock inside my IRA. Can I take a tax deduction? Actually, my CPA tells me you cannot. <laughs> so, so these are questions that, that people need to rely on professionals. Right. Yeah, and, they were, and it's so important for people who have a team in place too. I always say financial advisor, uh, CPA, estate planning attorney are the most, I mean, there's, you know, insurance and bankers and things like that. But those three tend to be on a team. Somebody might ask me a legal question and I'll say, sure, I would structure it like this, but talk it over with your CPA because it might have adverse tax consequences that I'm not th thinking about or a financial advisor because I don't know if you can do that with the IRA or you know something like that. So you really do need to have a team put together. And just to go back slightly, um, we could do a whole podcast about estate planning for blended families because you touched on it a little bit. There are Jeez. so many nightmares yes. about blended families and, and whoever dies first, their kids are left out because the surviving spouse took the money and, and left it to their kids. There's different, you know, when I meet with clients, I always say, do you have any special needs children in your family? That is needs to be taken into consideration. You said the maturity level with the, with the investments. Um, also, there's um, drug and alcohol issues that are part of a lot of families that you just don't want to give somebody a whole bunch of money because you know they're going to spend it on drugs and alcohol and they have a dependency issue. Those are all things that need to be wrapped into your state plan to be sure that the money gets used as intended. Right, right. So, so when it comes to, it, it's a simple phrase, but when we talk about estate planning or when we talk about wills and trusts, uh, some people's eyes glaze over and some people say, oh yeah, 
I took care of that. I did that uh, a long time ago. And th- there's a bell that rings in my head. Oh, you did it a long time ago? Well, how current is your program, your, your, your trust? Oh, you know, it's not that old. Um, I think we signed it in 2002. Well, okay. I think and maybe you can give me a, a, a frame of reference here. I might say, if your will of trust is not two, three, four years old, you're probably okay. But if it's more than five years old, what, what do you say as far as a time limit? I always recommend clients review them uh, every two years. Um, and, and, and if you can, every year, just to get it out, take a look at it, see if the people named in it are who you actually want. Family relationships change, people mm. pass away, people become incompetent, your wishes change. I have a lot of people who leave money to charity and they, they see a charity that's in there and say, oh, no, we don't give to them anymore. We want to give it to this charity. And, and it might not be the laws changing so much because very rarely is there in the law that would elicit a change in your trust. Um, you know, the other documents, your medical power attorney and financial powers of attorney, they change quite a bit. But the trust document, we try to prepare them so that there's alternates listed, right? Mm-hmm. If I name Johnny as a trustee and Johnny doesn't want to do it because I forgot to tell him I named him and he refuses, well, then Susie's named after Johnny. And so sometimes that's the case. But a lot of times I'll see people people who have ex-spouses listed in their documents or as their beneficiaries on policies. I'm sure you've seen that. Um, When they did their plan, their kids were minors and now they're not. Maybe they want to name their kids to make some medical or financial decisions for them. So it's a good idea to dust it off because I can't tell you the amount of people who just do it and put it away in a box and then they die and there's unintended consequences because Mm -hmm. they didn't update it. Um, And a lot of people think, well, I had, I went to this attorney and so I have to go back to that attorney to do my changes. That's not necessarily the case. Um, Also people from different states. Nevada is very transient. We have people who come in here from lots of Californians, lots of people from New York and Florida. And they say, well, I did my plan back there. Do I have to redo the whole thing? Sometimes the answer is no, you don't have to redo the whole thing. But let me look at your documents to see if there's changes that we need to be made that need to be made. And oftentimes, Joe, um, people don't have like you mentioned in the beginning, people don't have their assets titled properly. They do a trust but then they still own assets, their bank accounts and their houses and their cars in their own name. Those are going through probate. I don't care if you had a a trust or not. They weren't titled properly in the trust. And that's what a lot of people miss. Yeah, yeah. I do do want to uh, remember to point out uh, that Brooke and her firm are admitted in the state of Nevada, Nevada, the state of Michigan and the state of Ohio. And so if, if clients uh, have, have questions uh, regarding estates or property in those states, uh, they, can, they can call you. And if they have issues in other states, they can still call for general guidance uh, because we do have relationships and kind of a network of, of advisors and attorneys all over the place. So the first step I would think is to get some questions on the table and find out if it's appropriate to start thinking about a will and a trust. I mean, does somebody need a trust when they're 18 years old and they have college debt and uh, they're living at home and, and they just have their car? Maybe not. No. 
Maybe not. Usually not. And there and there are Nevada is a great state to live in because there are a lot of alternatives to a trust. Right. You can you can name a beneficiary on real property here, which is very unusual. A lot of states don't offer that. Uh, but you, it's called a transfer on death deed. So even if people have real property, you know, mm-hmm. depending on their family relationship, it's going to depend on your family relationship, the amount of your assets, what type of assets you have on, on whether you need to do a trust or not. And, and a lot of people just dismiss it and say, Uh, What I hear a lot is I did a will years ago. It's fine. And and the main thing that I want people to take away from this, if they listen to this, is a will requires you to go through probate. Okay, just because you have a will doesn't mean you're not going to go through probate. A will just directs the court where your property goes through the probate process. And so if, if you hear someone that says, I have a will, I'm all set. Nine times out of 10, they're not all set. Right, right. That's great. Um. You know, I I think that we brought up so many points in this brief conversation that hopefully it'll trigger people's thinking. Um, But I think maybe the most important thing to me is I want to get people comfortable asking questions. I want to get people comfortable uh, calling you Mm -hmm. or or calling me, just throwing the question out there. And it may be that we can give them some some direction, some guidance, some some, uh, general um, conversation, at least open up the conversation and find out which type of advice you need. Sure. And, and you may find out that there are some assets, some accounts, some policies, some uh, in, investment, et cetera, et cetera, that need to, to be uh, updated. Maybe you have a trust and, and like Brooke said, all of your assets are not titled in the trust. Maybe the tr- trust is current. Maybe the trust is current, but your trustees are not current. There's, there's a lot of pieces, parts. Uh, that go into having an updated and a current and adequate and a, and a comprehensive estate plan. So um, I'm, I'm so happy that you would get uh, on a call with me today and yes. uh, continue to have these conversations. We will uh, have a live webinar when people can, can call in or type in their questions and have their questions answered live. And so uh, once again, I, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for joining me. And uh, I look forward to referring our clients to you and, and to working together in the future. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to see you. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks.